0: Welcome to the Global Supply Chain Conference here at Freight Waves. Today, we're going to dive deep into the auto sector. And to kick us off is Ken Washington, the Chief Technology Officer at Ford Motor Company. Ken, how are you? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Uh, likewise, great to have you. The auto sector is as hot of a sector as as any sector right now in the country uh, and, and probably having a renaissance, unlike we've seen for decades. So, how would you, as a technology officer of the company, how would you think of what's happening right now in the auto sector?
1: Well, I think your characterization is correct. It's you know we're seeing uh, the convergence of a number of technologies happening all at the same time, and it's and it's reinventing the industry. Um, we're seeing we're really hearing an inflection point with electrification. as a result of battery costs and capabilities. Costs are dropping and capabilities are increasing. Uh, Vehicles are now connected. And so that enables new experiences, allows a massive amount of data to be processed. And that turns into opportunities to create new services and experiences for our customers. AI has come of age and we're capturing those technologies and bringing it into the vehicle, into services. And then uh, last but not least, uh, autonomy is taking off. Um, And we're bringing automation to our retail and our commercial customers, as well as building the next generation of fully autonomous vehicles. So all of this is happening at the same time, creating new possibilities for our customers and for the company.
0: So a lot's going on. When you think of Ford's roadmap, you guys have been uh, doubling down on EVs as as the whole sector. But are we, do we think that the internal combustion engine is going to be phased out over the next 20 years? Or do you think that there is still a life for the internal combustion engine in certain sectors?
1: You know, it's hard to really totally predict. But one thing is certain, that we're hitting an inflection point with electrification. And we're seeing light duty vehicles and um, customer retail vehicles definitely moving through this inflection. And so we're all in at Ford. And I think many of our competitors are pursuing the same ambition to pursue electrifying our our portfolio. So we are committed to leading the electrification revolution. We're all in, we're electrifying our most iconic products, starting with the Mustang Mach-E, moving on to our uh, our uh, F-150, and then also electrifying our, our transit van line. And so, uh, and we're not gonna stop there. Uh, you're gonna see much more to come. So. Uh, we're all in because we think this inflection is here. Uh, I think the internal combustion engine still has plenty of life in it uh, for certain uh, sectors, but we're also looking at how to bring zero emission propulsion technologies to those sectors too, particularly the the uh, medium and heavy duty sector looking at fuel cell technology. So uh, I think the days of of an electrified portfolio are upon us and, and uh, those who lean into it, I think are going
0: to be the winners. Now, there's been a lot of cultural uh, conversations over the last couple of decades about electrical. There was, seemed to be some resistance or uh, some lack of adoption. What has changed over the last couple of years that's really driven that to where uh, Ford and others in the auto sector are really starting to make significant investments? seems like that it, was, it, took a, it took a couple of turns to get there. Is it just technology evolution? Is it cultural? Is it sustainability? Uh, what, what's prioritizing it? I think it's a little
1: bit of everything that you said. It's uh, I think first of all there's been quite a bit of resistance uh, tied to, to to myths that just are not true, and and you have to put electric vehicles in customers' hands for them to begin to experience them. And I, I give a lot of credit to one of our competitors, Tesla, for breaking down some of those myths and and making it cool to have an electric vehicle and 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 bringing to the public's eye the insight that electric vehicles are are fun and can be sporty and and, and have a, a whole different feel to them. And it's been said, and I think it's absolutely true, that once you drive and own an electric vehicle, you're never going to go back to an internal combustion engine. Uh, I've got a Mustang mach in my garage right now, and and I can tell you, it's a fantastic vehicle. It's absolutely fantastic. But, you know, it's more than just about electrification. I have to say this, that that because of these uh, the battery electric vehicle platform, it allows you to do some things with the digital experience in the vehicle that you can't do with an atomic combustion engine because you've got this big massive battery and you also have this platform upon which you can innovate and bring new experiences like large screens and, and, and digital services. And so the electrification revolution is
0: also about connectivity and digital and services. So, I mean, you think about the business model of a, a large audio manufacturer, uh, the dealer model, um, are we going to see uh, the world where the OEMs have a, a bit more, are involved more in a recurrent revenue model or a subscription-based model, or is it is the model of selling through dealerships and and service going to be uh, pretty persistent? Well, we're
1: we're at a moment in time where where the connectivity and the digital services, what something we call our tech stack, is going to open up the possibility of having. And a long-lasting relationship with our customers after they buy the vehicle, Uh, starting with having the ability to update the vehicle over the air. With our new electrical architectures, we're able to do bumper-to-bumper over-the-air updates on our vehicles. And this allows us to do things like drive down warranty costs, improve the quality experience of owning the vehicle, but also to deliver new services to the customer long after they buy the vehicle and drive it off the lot. Going forward, we see this as a way to create whole new value streams for the company and also value, most importantly, for the customers where they can see and have new experiences that uh, they hadn't even dreamed of that that get invented long after you know we sell them the car. Uh, this is going to be a steady part of our diet going forward. We see a lot of valuation coming from from this um, this uh, model where we have a relationship with the customer through the digital uh, connection.
0: Now, Detroit has had a renaissance as well, driven by uh, the automotive sector, the amount of investment that's gone into the technology. But there's a lot of questions about whether the future of the innovation cycle of Silicon Valley, is it in China? How do you view Detroit's advantages or ability to to continue to be the center of the auto, the global auto sector?
1: Well, this is ours to, to lead. It's ours to lead the mobility revolution. And the really neat thing about this revolution with Detroit and Southeast Michigan being at, still at the epicenter of the, of the mobility ecosystem is that we're not doing it alone. We're doing it in deep partnership with tech companies all over the world and with other parts of our company. We're a global company. So we have a research lab in Silicon Valley that is uh, deeply connected with the startup ecosystem there. We've got a research lab in Israel, where there's a very vibrant innovation ecosystem. Uh, we've got uh, an engineering center and a research team in China as well. Uh, so this is a global play, and of course, we also have our facilities in Europe. So there's technology and innovation coming from all over the world, and we're tapping into all of those sources and knitting it together to create, you know, this new future for. For our customers and for the company, but uh, make no mistake about it: the heart of, of this uh, distributed global ecosystem still remains in the southeast Michigan Detroit area.
0: Okay, one of the things that's as as the auto sector has shifted towards EVs and a more connected vehicle, and just what's happened with COVID and and just the demand on the global supply chains, we've seen a, a pretty significant chip shortage. Uh, I think all. Auto manufacturers are struggling to keep up with demand. What is what is that meant for Ford uh, in terms of your production cycles and the ability to bring in new technologies? And uh, how do you, how are you guys managing that uh, through this cycle?
1: Well, we're we're managing our way through it just like our competitors are. And uh, you know, I think the the entire semiconductor industry didn't expect the auto industry to bounce back as quickly as we did. <laughs> uh, and I see that as actually a good thing. Uh, but now we're having to deal with the fact that they they have to catch up and uh, so we're we're doing everything we can to to do uh, 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 manage our manage our inventory and and to navigate our way through this um, we will get through this uh, it is not impacting our ambition around our digital uh, uh, platform or how we're designing and architecting our next generation of vehicles we remain committed to modernizing our architectures and enabling the the kinds of experiences I spoke about with those architectures. Uh, we're just going through this one-time hiccup and we'll get through it and
0: we'll see sunshine on the other side. Does, when you move to a connected vehicle that can do over the air updates, does it change the cycle of how often the vehicles get refreshed? Um, are we gonna see more intermittent refreshing that happens in between Uh, brand new product cycles. Um, How is that shifting the way you guys think about rolling out new products?
1: I think it's gonna depend on the product line and the customer. So we're moving to a model where we're having to be very intimate and close with our customers. And so no one size fits all, you know, truck customers are gonna want a different refresh cadence than, than, you know, commercial vehicle, uh, like van customers. And they're gonna want a different refresh cycle than luxury customers. So I think it's gonna be very dependent on the on the individual product line. But uh, we do see there being much more priority and emphasis from a customer point of view uh, on the digital experience, on services, on uh, capabilities that you can provide over the air. And so I'd imagine just in aggregate, if you integrate that over all product lines that you'll see more attention and more focus on upgrading and updating those elements of the of the vehicle product lines than the physical vehicle. Uh, but it's too early to say exactly how it's gonna impact specifics.
0: I think it's it's an amazing time when I, when I think about uh, all of the excitement around the auto sector. Someone who's, uh, you know, we're big fans of the stock market. Uh, our first investor was is Fontanellas, uh, which is, you know, Bill Ford's uh, partner at Fontanellas. And so we, we certainly have been following the auto sector for some time. It's really encouraging to think about all of the innovation and investment that's going into it, but it also means that there's a lot of noise out there. Where, where do you think that the most promising technologies beyond EV are, and where do you think a lot of the noise and hype that's probably undeserved is, is inside this uh, industry?
1: Well, you know, I've I've learned through my uh, decades of working in technology that. Uh, you do have to pay attention to the noise because there's a signal in there and so we cast our net pretty wide when it comes to evaluating and monitoring technologies uh, the key is to be discerning about when to pull the trigger on on engaging a technology and and then transitioning it into your products so right now i would say a lot of the a lot of the prior uh, noise and hype around autonomy has faded in the background and we now know that full autonomy is much harder than than many people had, had, had represented it to be. Uh, we always knew it was a very hard problem. So we were always fairly measured in our statements about the ushering in a full autonomy. Uh, but what we're seeing now is that that noise around auto- autonomy is turning into reality around automation and, and advanced driver assist technologies and, and new sensors and how that translates into data and how that can turn into new services and experiences. So, um, and that, that came from just paying attention to what's happening in the technology space that was all feeding into the automation uh, frenzy. Uh, and it turns out that the pivot led to other innovation, uh, like new services of being able to, to do automated uh, uh, trailer hitching and things of that sort. So, uh, you know, our. We 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 monitor and watch a wide array of technologies. You know, we're, we're even doing some experimentation with quantum computing. I think that's fairly early in the hype cycle, uh, but we're paying attention to it to see where it's going to go. Other things we're watching and monitoring and doing quite a bit of technology work on is our advanced materials uh, uh, development. Uh, we're doing some work on additive manufacturing. I mean, It's a fairly long list, but um, you know, we've we've learned that. Um, You shouldn't dismiss anything that that has the potential of growing into a signal, particularly these days with the pace of technology development.
0: Yeah, it's certainly happening quickly. So when you think about autonomous, uh, a lot of people sort of take the leap of full autonomy or point to point autonomous. Uh, It's creating a lot of tension in an industry we cover, which is the trucking industry and what happens to the truck driver, the jobs there. Uh, it sounds like what you're suggesting is that cycle may be longer. It may take a a, a bit longer to have point to point autonomous. Is that? Am I reading that correctly? Is it? Is it? Do you when is when do you think that we'll see point to point autonomous or truly driverless uh, level five? Well, I think you're going to start seeing the
1: the first signs of of services enter the market in 2022. Maybe some early entrants will start later this year in tw- late 2021 will come into the market in 2022 in a gradual way in, in select, select cities. Uh, we've been very transparent about our, about our rollout strategy, uh, beginning with our first city, Miami. Uh, but look, if you even just add up all of these locations where we've said we'd we release our, our fully self-driving uh, ride service for moving people and moving goods, it's a relatively small number of cities. So this rollout is going to be gradual, but that gradual rollout will ultimately lead to really big impact and a lot of large uh, valuation. Um, and so, I think the experience we're seeing today, right here in this moment now, is proof that we, you know, often uh, over oversold the, the technology. Um, <laughs> you know, there are people making claims that they have full autonomy on the road in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, right? Well, that's behind us, and that's not that hasn't happened. So, I think we've all taken a a big gulp of reality and realize that uh, it's a hard problem and it needs to be done gradually and in a measured way.
0: We had Tony Seba at our first uh, Freightways Conference back in 2018. I think his projection was 2020, would be the year of uh, sort of singularity in the auto sector, and autonomous would be upon us. Obviously, that's not happened. Um, we seem to be uh, on the cusp of it, but but uh, as you pointed out, we're not we're not there. So I have a one year old son, and I have two a, twi- a set of twins that are are are, are on their way. Uh, do you think they'll ever drive an, a vehicle? Would they learn to drive an automobile, or are they going to be of a generation? that doesn't learn how to drive a, a car. Yeah, I'm not very good at predictions.
1: So <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to predict that, but uh, well, I would say I what I what I hope happens and and I I think it's not too far fetched to to imagine a future where where there's still plenty of people that learn how to drive vehicles and they choose to drive and they love to drive and they want to drive and it gives them the freedom to do so. Uh and they even choose to live certain lifestyles where a driven vehicle is is a requirement in order to to fill that kind of lifestyle. Um, but you know, twenty years from now, will you be able to to live and work and play in an urban setting without owning a vehicle? I think that's the answer to that question is most likely going to be yes. Um, that doesn't mean that people won't ever learn to drive and won't choose to have vehicles if they want to live in a more rural setting or. Have the kind of lifestyle where they can hop in their own vehicle and drive somewhere. One of the things we've learned from COVID is that people do value the uh, the independence and the and the solitude of having their own space, and the safety of, of having their own space. And um, and so we're we're double clicking on that in some of our some of our work to ensure that, particularly in our Lincoln products, that that you really have a sanctuary, and um, because. Customers want that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned COVID and sort of how that's changed society or perception of society. Deurbanization has started to take place. It's a trend that's actually dated for some time, but we've seen this acceleration of it. Uh, I imagine as we see a more connected vehicle and people telecommuting, how is that shifting how Ford thinks of new products? Is it, you mentioned bigger vehicles potentially, um, what, how are you guys roadmapping the future of the urban landscape and what that means for, for vehicle technology?
1: Well, you know, our futuring around our vehicle products is something we hold pretty close, so I won't talk about specifics. But one of the things we're, we're certainly thinking about is, is uh, and this is why we were so excited about the investment in the Michigan Central Station, is we're thinking about designing for um, and using the Mich- Michigan Central Station and the Corktown region to help us get the design for a multimodal mobility ecosystem correct, where you've got micro-mobility, you've got vehicles that are driven, you've got ride services where vehicles are ridden in, you've got package delivery vehicles, you've got delivery platforms, maybe you have aerial mobility solutions with packages being delivered by drone or perhaps even one day with eVTOLs delivering packages or moving people across the border. So you could imagine all kinds of new modalities of goods and people getting around in and around an urban environment. Uh, we're trying to design and to work with cities to to create those kinds of solutions. And we're gonna use our Corktown investment and our, our, our um, presence there to uh, gameplay, uh some of
0: those some of those scenarios so we're pretty excited about that now is Ford shifting or at least uh in accelerating investment in the commercial side of the world I know that uh you've always had a presence in the commercial vehicles but they've been smaller class vehicles uh not the larger uh you know, class 8 vehicles but are we seeing a shift uh to in terms of how you're prioritizing or Ford's prioritizing commercial vehicles
1: well, for us, it's not really a shift. I mean, we've been leaders in the commercial vehicle sector for a long time, and uh, and it's our ambition to to not let go of that lead. So we're we're uh, very focused on ensuring that we uh, we continue to make make our commercial vehicles must have vehicles, but more importantly, um, we're we're coupling an amazing, and awesome vehicle and the platform of the vehicle with must have got to have uh, services and experiences. And so we think that's going to create the kind of stickiness that'll keep us as the commercial vehicle industry leaders for a long time to come.
0: So, Ken, one of the things that's also being discussed, we've seen it in California this summer, uh, Texas is suffering with power outages. There's a lot of discussion about the electric vehicle and the grid and the resilience of the grid. Um, Are you guys talking to utilities and having conversations and active in thinking about grid planning? Um, How do you, with a fully electric vehicle and a shift towards consumer and commercial behaviors towards electric, how does Ford think about the grid reliability and sustainability?
1: It's a really super important topic uh, because the electric vehicle is only as good as the full experience. And so uh, and let me just kind of back up from the grid and just talk first about the charging experience. We know that has to be a great experience for people to want to own and fall in love with and continue to to love their electric vehicles. So we're very focused on ensuring that we provide our customers with a great charging experience. So that's that's where we start. Then the grid comes into play, and that's really through through um, uh, through us helping inform partners and the energy and the utility companies uh, that their role in in ensuring that the grid is resilient. Um, So we're, we're, we're doing some work on, on, um, on addressing that, that topic, uh, but it's not, it's not really something that is, uh, you know, something that we own. So it's, it's, it's a, it's an important topic that we have to be a part of the, the conversation to advance, and so we're engaging with utilities and having those conversations. But it's really their their challenge to to step up to and address. And the good news that we've that I've seen is that they're starting to do that. And I think there's a lot of energy behind um, ensuring that we have a resilient uh, electrical grid in this in this country and internationally as well.
0: Yeah, and it seems like you you need more than just. You know, wit. we've seen it in Texas where when the windmills have actually frozen, uh, which seems something that people moving from California would have never imagined uh, that are having to face that. But um, it's a it's an interesting time. A lot of technology. So, Ken, what would be a bold call, a prediction that you would make for say the next five years? What will we see that perhaps is off people's grid that they're not thinking about in the auto sector uh, that's going to be pretty transformative?
1: Boy, if I had that, I don't know if I would share it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hold it tight, right? So I'm uh, hold that pretty close.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: let me just tell you and your your listeners and your, your colleagues that uh, are in this event that um, I don't think there's going to be any shortage of, of surprises and game-changing technologies that get burst onto the scene. I mean, just think of it this way. Uh, this is 2021. Roll the clock back five years. And do, what were we thinking was possible back in you know 2016? Were we talking about electrification at this level? Uh, or, you know, were we pre- would we have been able to predict the the scale of AI? And if someone had told you that we could develop a vaccine in 12 months, would you have believed them? You know, there's all kinds of things that that surprise us, having to do with the pace and speed of technology. I don't think the next five years are going to be any different. We're going to find things that surprise us and delight us. And our job at Ford is to keep our pulse on those things
0: and translate them into value for our company and for our customers. Well, Ken, I really appreciate that. The other thing that's exciting about all of what you've said is not just the technology, but the other businesses that can be built around that. So we've seen it with Uber, we've seen it with Lyft, Instacart. I can't imagine surviving COVID in a quarantine environment without the services that have been built around the mobility revolution. So it's an, it's an exciting time. Ken, really appreciate your time today. Uh, really uh, excited about the future of Ford. What it looks for, what it looks like. I do have to, one question before I go. The the diehard gearheads when they saw the electric Mustang. What was that conversation like uh, with consumers out there? I imagine they were a little shocked that this thing's gone to electric from the heavy uh, uh, motor.
1: Well, you know, it, we had a, we had a uh, response that was all over the map. You know, some people were like gung-ho and loved it. And some were like, I don't know, an electric Mustang, it's not really a Mustang. Uh, but look, the proof's in the pudding. You get into that vehicle, you drive it, and you're going to have a smile on your face. I guarantee that. And so uh, we're just hoping we can put more people in behind the wheel. And uh, we think they're going to love it. And so far, so good. Um, in the meantime, we still sell, you know, ice Mustangs as well. And uh, so more to come. But uh, the b- bottom line is this is a fun vehicle, exciting vehicle. And it's a signal of things to come because we're all in and we plan to lead the electrification revolution. And we're off to a great start, start with the Mustang mach Well,
0: that's awesome. I appreciate Ken. Thanks for your time. Uh, look forward to checking it out. It was my pleasure to be with you, thanks. Thank you. Tune in, we've got a lot more conversations about the auto sector, the future. It is the hottest sector and it's impacting supply chains as the industry shifts towards EVs. We've got a lot of conversation coming up the rest of the day, so be sure, sure to tune in to this conversation about how society and the auto sector are being transformed and how that transforms the supply chain.